A chance acquaintance in the back room of a saloon. A few moments of laughter and revelry over the cups. And Annie Walsh of 16 Elm Street walked out with her newfound friend last night to her death. For within an hour of the time when she and Captain Matroni of the Barge Snipe, moored at the City Coal Company's wharf, had left the place where they met. She lay in a bunk in the cabin, her body terribly mutilated, the victim of one of the most vicious and brutal murders that New Bedford has ever known. The Evening Standard, January 10th, 1914. Welcome back to the Axe Murder Diaries. I'm your host, Amanda, and today we are talking about the axe murder of Annie Walsh in New Bedford, Massachusetts, January 9th, 1914. Let's get started. Headless body of a woman found in the bunk of a coal barge at New Bedford, identified as body of Annie Walsh, 30. Louis Therian was invited to come aboard the Philadelphia and Reading Barge to spend the night by Captain Matroni, a decision Lewis would come to regret. He saw the body of a woman cut in pieces in the cabin. A lantern was lit on the table in the main cabin, and he saw a woman's leg hanging out of the bunk. He rushed home, and before going into his house was heard mumbling, he has killed her, and he has murdered the girl. He left for 10 minutes, came back, went inside the house, and told his daughter Flora what had happened. She took him to the police station, arriving at about midnight. They went back to the barge with the officers. The police broke into the barge and found the body of Annie Walsh. The body of the woman was horribly mangled. The head had been severed from the body. An ear and the nose were hacked off. One leg had been cut off, and cuts indicated the murderer had tried to complete the dismemberment by cutting off the arms and legs and cutting the torso in two. It's also noted that she was wearing very little clothing. The lamp was hung up on the wall and the woman's leg was back on the bed. The body was cold, making the police think she had been dead a while. The floor of the cabin was covered in blood and in the blood, a short-handled axe. The woman, they are sure, was killed on the floor of the cabin and then lifted, bleeding, into the bunk where the police found her. This made the police think that there was more than one person involved. When the police left the cabin to make a further investigation, they heard a low moaning in another part of the ship. They followed the noise and shined a flashlight into the room. The police found Captain Charles Matroni crouching dazed in a corner of the cabin with a rope around his neck, attempting to hang himself. The man's shirt was literally bespattered with blood. He admitted to drinking heavily the night before, but denied knowledge of the crime. Police stated Matroni broke down later, stating that he might have committed the murder, and stated he was always the black sheep of his family. When asked why he did it, he replied, I was stewed and suppose I was pretty drunk. Matroni was about 25 at the time of the murder and followed the sea for the last 10 years. He had run away twice as a child. Matroni was arrested for the murder, and Lewis was held as a witness for telling conflicting stories. Lewis Therian's first story was somewhat modified when he began to be questioned later on. 
He said he went down to the coal barge and went to sleep in a bunk in another cabin than that occupied by the captain. He said that he didn't go down with Captain Matroni and the Walsh woman, but went down after they had gone from the saloon. He said that he invited another woman to go down to the barge with him, but that she wouldn't go. He said that the captain invited him to go down aboard with him, but he told the captain that he was tired and that he guessed he would go home. Later, he changed his mind and went aboard. He was greeted by the captain, whom he told that he had come to bunk for the night. Therian said that the captain shoved him in a room with a bunk in it, and he went into his room, locked the door because he had some money with him, and went to sleep. He said that he locked the door because he didn't know what they might do to him. Then Therian said that in about a half hour, as near as he could judge, he woke up and shouted, Cap! And getting no response, he went to the captain's room and saw the woman lying on the floor of the cabin with her legs nearly cut off. Then Therian said that he called out to arouse somebody and that he got no response. He then went immediately home and told his daughter Flora about the affair. Flora, he said, was a chum of the murdered woman. And Flora insisted that he go right down to the police station and tell what he knew about the matter. He did so and took his daughter with him. That was per the Fall River Globe, June 10th, 1914. I will add in one source, Flora said that she did not know the murdered woman and denied saying so. Tracing the movements of those involved in the murder, the police find that Captain Matroni and the Walsh woman had been together for a considerable period of time on Friday. Friday evening, about 6.30, they left Joseph A. Burke's saloon together and walked down Elm Street on the north side. The police have three witnesses who saw them at about the time mentioned. They went to the home of Mrs. Mary Wood on Elm Street, where Mrs. Walsh roomed, and Mrs. Wood, who the police say is also known as Mrs. Keogh, talked with them. She did not want them to remain at the house, and after a little conversation, she told the police Saturday night. The captain suggested to the Walsh woman that if they were not wanted there, they could go down aboard the snipe. They left the house after having been there less than five minutes, and if they went directly to the barge, as it seems very probable they did, they arrived there about seven o'clock. Therian, the police learned, left Burke's barroom about 7.30 and walked down to the barge. He had known the captain and had been invited by him to come down. Therian says he went into a bunk before he reached the police station with the story of the murder and it is probable that he slept in the cabin from about 8 o'clock until about 11 o'clock, and the police believe that Captain Matroni was on the barge from 7 o'clock until he was arrested. The stories of both Matroni and Therian, as originally told to the police, set the time of going aboard the barge as two or three hours later than witnesses testified they saw them. Therian either was so intoxicated that he lost all idea of time, or else his narrative to the police is not all that he knows about the crime. And that was the Fall River Globe, Monday, January 12th, 1914. Axe murder puzzles police. Woman was hacked to pieces on a barge in New Bedford Harbor. The axe murder discovered Saturday on the barge snipe will probably never be solved, the police predict. They base this assertion on the ruling of Judge Milliker which made it impossible for the police to give the third degree to Captain Charles Matroni, who was charged with the crime. Matroni was stupefied with liquor when taken into custody, and around his neck was a short rope tied in a noose. He was pulling the other end in an apparent attempt to hang himself. 
The body of Annie Walsh was hacked to pieces and an axe lying nearby. The police did not try to question Matroni because of his condition, and when they started to take him back to police headquarters after his arraignment, Judge Milliker ruled that Matroni was no longer in the custody of the police and that they had no right to grill him. Matroni will offer as defense that he was drunk and was robbed of his monthly pay by some man who boarded the barge and who was discovered by the Walsh girl, her murder resulting from an attempt to sound an alarm. That was per the Allentown leader, and I will say that it does sound likely that some random dude went onto the boat, uh, robbed Matroni, and then when Annie Walsh tried to sound the alarm, he murdered her, and not Matroni or Therian. Um, I'm just kidding, by the way, that's absolutely ridiculous. Matroni, when searched, was found to have $10.38 on his person. He said that he thought he had more money than that. Oh, it must have been stolen by that guy. He said that he was the son of Antonio Matroni, who lives in Bristol, Rhode Island, and that his people were good people, and that he had brothers and sisters. He said that he was the black sheep of the family. So now, does that mean those people are good people and you're not? He ran away twice to go to sea and had been on vessels for 10 years. After he got to the police station, he said that he didn't remember a thing about the killing of the woman. He said that when he got down to the barge, he went to sleep and didn't remember a thing afterwards. He said that he didn't remember putting the rope about his neck and could not account for it being there and disclaimed any intention of trying to commit suicide. I'm never going to drink anymore, he said in talking to the police. The police, beside finding the axe covered with blood, this is thought to have been taken from a closet in the main cabin after the woman was killed with the axe, as the knob of the door was covered with blood. The woman's left leg was nearly severed from her body, the right leg was more than half cut off, the abdomen was laid open from the breastbone down, and the head on the right side above the ear was chopped in several places to the brain. The nose was cut completely off, one ear was cut. The window in the cabin where the body was found was covered with papers of January 6th. The woman's hat was carefully laid away on a shelf in the cabin, and that was per the Fall River Globe, January 10th, 1914. Now, I found very little description of our victim, Annie Walsh, but I did find this in the Fall River Globe, January 12th, 1914. They described her as having few friends in the city and no relatives. Previous to moving into the house with Mrs. Mary Wood, the murdered woman lived for some time just outside of Smith Mills on the Fall River car line with a Mrs. Amelia McGammon. Mrs. McGammon said Saturday, I always thought that Annie was a good woman, and the news of her death came as quite a shock to me. While she was with me, I learned enough of her history to know that she had a husband who drank heavily and beat her in England, so that she left him and came to this country. I think she lived in Blackburn. She has a daughter who is in her teens living in England now with her sister. I know she never paid me any rent, and I have in my possession now her trunk and some pawn tickets where she pawned some jewelry at the New Bedford Collateral Loan Company last April. She had quite a bit of it at first, but it always went away as soon as she got to drinking. I knew she drank considerably, but I thought that was the worst of her, and still believe that. When the whole affair is cleaned up, she'll be found to be better than she is made out to be. I understood from talk in the mill where she used to work with us that she was pretty good friends with this Therian who came with the news to the police. 
Mrs. Mary Wood, who was Annie Walsh's roommate, described her as such. Annie, she said, had told her that she was a widow when she first made her acquaintance in a boarding house down south. Her husband's name was Frank Walsh. She brought scarcely anything with her when she came to live with Mrs. Wood five months ago, saying that her trunk was out in a house kept by some French woman halfway between New Bedford and Fall River. The two women shared the house on Elm Street, which was scantily furnished with a N-word and a girl called Mary, who was also well known to the police and has an alias, the Irish Queen. Annie left here shortly after supper, said Mrs. Wood this morning between sobs. She borrowed ten cents when she went and promised me that she would only be gone a little while and would take nothing to drink but some soda of or something light. She was an awfully nice girl. That was per the Evening Standard, January 10th, 1914. The newspaper also describes her as, quote, Indian Annie because of her complexion. Um, she was also described as being well-known by police because of her frequenting back rooms. Now let's talk about motive. There's one theory that was mentioned in the Fall River Globe, January 12th, 1914. This theory is that the Walsh woman went with the barge captain with the intention of robbing him. From the statement of women living in the same house where Annie resided on Bethel Street, that is false, it is ascertained that Annie had not been working for five or six weeks and that she had no money. The persons who advanced the theory that robbery was attempted on Captain Matroni when she was in the cabin of his barge say that he might have caught the woman in the act and becoming angry might have struck the woman and killed her In finding what he had done tried to dispose of her body. This would be sufficient motive to show why the crime was committed. Now I'm mentioning this theory because I want you to keep in mind when you read articles or listen to stories, pay attention to the details. So in this article, they gave the wrong address. So most of what was just said was probably not true. Um, yellow journalism was a big thing back in the day to sell newspapers. They would try to make the story more interesting. Now, even if she tried to rob him, um, because she did not have money, there is no excuse to bludgeon her in the head with an ax, dismember her body with plans of dumping the parts into the ocean. That is not self-defense. That is, you are a murderer. End of story. Now let's get into sentencing. On January 21st, Charles Matroni was judged probably guilty for the murder of Annie Walsh, and Louis Therian was held at $500 bail as a witness. On February 13th, Charles Matroni pleaded guilty to the murder of Annie Walsh, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Louis Therian was let go. But that is not the last time we hear of Charles Matroni. After serving 23 years, he was pardoned at the age of 49 and sent home to live with his 80-year-old mother in Bristol, Rhode Island. He was pardoned with the help of a man named Robert Scott of Cambridge, a night watchman in the Boston factory who spent his free time doing uplift work with prisoners. He was deemed as worthy of a pardon and had a job waiting for him when he was released. In closing, I'll read her legacy on Find a Grave. 
Annie Walsh, a.k.a. Annie Welch, or Indian Annie because of her dark complexion, was a reputed prostitute who frequented the New Bedford waterfront. Annie was murdered by Axe, beheaded, dismembered, by Captain Charles Matroni, a coal barge captain aboard his vessel, the Snipe. The crime was called New Bedford's most hideous crime on the front page of the January 10, 1914, Evening Standard. Headlines detailing the gruesome murder appeared on front pages around the world. Annie's murder occurred after an evening of heavy drinking with Matroni at New Bedford's Joe Burke Saloon, reputed to be where vicious characters hung out. Matroni was tried for Annie's murder and accepted a guilty plea of murder in the second degree. In 1937, Captain Matroni was pardoned by Massachusetts Governor Charles Hurley and released from Charlestown Prison after serving 23 years of a life sentence. Matroni was found dead on a New York City pier in 1941, reportedly of natural causes. Annie's murder inspired a change in New Bedford's licensing and policing of bar and tavern illicit activities, including crackdowns on prostitution and distribution of drugs, the sale of liquor to women, and backroom operations. Both her parents had passed, and she claimed to be the wife of Frank Walsh. She is buried in an unmarked grave in the public area of the shady southwest corner of the cemetery. Annie Walsh was brutally murdered. Her body was dismembered, and their response was to crack down on selling liquor to women? Charles Matroni, the man who did this, was pardoned. Though he did die four years later, was allowed four years of freedom and 27 more years of life than Annie Walsh. Annie Walsh was a person and she now resides in an unmarked grave. It's unclear if Louis Therian knew more than he let on, but it is true that if he did not report it, Annie Walsh would be known as another sex worker who disappeared. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will be posting some photos from this case on the Axe Murder Diaries Instagram page. And a special thanks goes out to my buddy Tim Weisberg, who works for WBSM and hosts the radio show and podcast Spooky South Coast, for sending me some original articles from the Evening Standard. He is going to be doing some digging this week since he lives in New Bedford, and we'll see what we can do to get this woman a headstone. Stay tuned.